Hello and welcome to Life Negotiations. Thank you for being here. In this podcast, I bring you some of the world's best negotiators where we talk about hostage negotiations, suicide negotiations, business negotiations, negotiating with your children, anything negotiation. My name is Lucine Merabi. I'm your host. I'm a professional negotiator and an inspirational speaker. I love sharing anything I can about negotiations and this fascinating world. Talking about fascinating, today I'm being joined by seriously one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. She's absolutely stunning and she's fascinating. She's the senior advisor to the United Nations in Geneva. She's a negotiation expert at the Schrader Negotiation Institute. She helps companies with their complex negotiations. She is author of several books. I'll ask her questions about her books. She is also a professor in different universities. She speaks several languages like me, and we are so aligned on the way we view negotiations. Our vision is very much aligned. We talk a lot about the human aspect and not to pretend that that doesn't play a massive role in negotiations. So. I'm very happy to be joined today by doctor, professor, I don't know how many titles she has, but her beautiful name is Kasia Jagodzinska. Without further ado, let's welcome the professor. Hello, professor. Hello, nice to be on the podcast. Thank you for the invitation. Of course, I'm so happy to have this conversation. Obviously, we're in contact. We've already talked before, and I so much look forward to this conversation because I know how much you have to offer, how much you have to share, and I can't wait to ask you loads of questions. Um, for the audience, for the listeners uh, who don't know you yet, can you please tell us more about yourself? Yes, with pleasure. First of all, let me thank you for the invitation. I think that what you're doing and you're such an inspirational speaker, um, inflicting so much positive energy and so much warmth uh, to, to the podcast and to the people that you invite, it's contagious. So it's a great honor to be here with you and to be sharing some of our thoughts and, and of course with our audience. In terms of my background, very, very briefly, I have a dual background in business management and in academia. I'm a professor at several European universities based in Switzerland. Um, I'm also a consultant uh, and a professional trainer in negotiations. That is my field of expertise. Author of several books, uh, two that have been published, The Negotiation Booster and Negotiate Your Way to Success a consultant and international trainer for the Schroeder Negotiation Institute in Zurich, and also an expert for the United Nations in Geneva. Basically, my activities are all in the sphere and in the field of international negotiations and conflict management. Fascinating, fascinating. I don't even know where to start with my questions. Tell me more about what you do with the United Nations. So at the United Nations level, I help multi-party stakeholders find a common interest in the negotiation process and also how to avoid conflicts of interest. Uh, we are mm, very much active also in the sphere of assisting with communication, quite simply, which I find fascinating because when I was first assigned uh, to the United Nations for my mission, 
I thought, senior advisor to the United Nations for multi-party stakeholder conflict of interest management. When I heard this title, I thought, wow, this is going to be a super technical role. I was very surprised that the majority of our work is actually on uh, creating a bond between people, communicating mm. effectively, inclusive communication and dialogue. This is something that I find is surprising and I find is also a trend not only at the European nations level, but also in business now. I very often have the feeling that we're teaching people, we've taught them all the strategies and all the tools and tactics, and we're teaching ourselves and them how to be human again. I love that. I love that. I mean, of course, you know, from the from the work that I do, that that human aspect is super important. And negotiation books that have been written in the past were so much about, you know, making us very rational beings and, and try to put all the emotions out. And I'm glad that I'm joined by you on this mission of saying, no, 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 no. Let's bring the human back on the negotiation table mm -hmm. and humanity. I mean, being human is already such a complex Right. And if we can understand more about what is it that makes us human, what is it that differentiates us from machines and what is it that we all bring to the negotiation table, whether we are aware of it or not. And instead of fearing it and trying to push it under the table, let's put it on top of the table, bring exactly. it with us and go even a step further. Right. Embrace it and make it our ally with emotions and traumas and all those things. I, I truly believe that is the future and there's a lot of work to be done in that I, field i too believe even though we're talking about the we're on the we're already in uh, the ai domain i would say and there are voices that say that to some extent the human factor will be substituted but i don't believe that fully that will be the case um, especially in the sphere of negotiations one mm. cannot rule out emotions. We'll be talking about conflict and we'll be talking about stress later on. It's impossible. I know that there has been year long trend in research, a very optimistic saying that humankind is the rational kind. Quite the contrary. If we look at the structure of the brain itself, we are first emotional beings and then we rationalize our decisions, our actions that are driven primarily by the amygdala, that fight or flight mechanism, that emotional reaction in the face of danger. So let's talk about conflict, because obviously conflict is the basics of everything that we do, right? If there's no conflict, there's no negotiation. But what we also see is that most people don't like conflicts. They walk away from it, they prevent it, try to prevent it. Whereas conflict is just a normal thing that will happen as soon as there is a disagreement, <laughs> right? No, it's not about conflict itself that is an issue it's what you do with it and that can become problematic but why do you think that so many people avoid or are afraid of conflict and how can we how can we change the perception of conflict so it's two questions in one first of all conflict primarily has negative connotations but not in all uh, not in all environments i remember when i once was training a group of executive mbas they they were project high level project managers and i said that conflict you know is negative and they immediately jumped at that phrase and said, what are you talking about? You know, conflict is great. It stimulates creativity, innovation. And if you look at the development even of society, all the developments 
have at their core or at the beginning, they, they arise very often out of conflict. We are taught also as a society to be compliant, mm. to avoid escalation, but conflict not necessarily is escalation. That's why we're uh, teaching people conflict management to avoid that escalation, to embrace the positive elements uh, that's, that stimulate the, that creative energy, thinking out of the box, what we call in the box thinking, but without escalation. So that all brings us back to what we said, the rational and the emotional element. How do we navigate between those two? So not being driven by the emotional reaction in the, in the face of adversity, but to also be able to apply the tools of, of logic and reason. And I believe this is what we're missing. I mean, if we're, we're teaching young professionals already how to deal with that aspect, but I think it needs to be highlighted even more that, uh, that going back to the root of what is causing that tension in relation to conflict. So do you think it starts with our education already? We are taught to listen and to follow and to comply and to fit in the box, whether it's education of the parents, of the school, of the, you know, the entire education system actually teaches us to listen, to comply, to do what you're told. Exactly, exactly what you said, that we're, we're taught to do what we're told, but I don't believe that we're taught to listen, maybe to obey, yeah, but, to obey. Exactly. No, no. Listening is a whole other field that we should exactly. teach kids from exactly. a young age. And we're teaching persuasion. And persuasion yeah. is a skill that really you're sharpening your own self-persuasion skills, I would say. But not necessarily are we being taught how to understand and listen to the needs and the interests of the other party. And hence, there's a lot of conflict like the like Carl Gustav Jung said that perception is the only reality. I would say there are a lot of artificial conflicts because we perceive something as negatively affecting our interest, whereas not necessarily that was the intention of the other person. So I would say fundamentally, it all goes back to the ability to understand each other and to listen to each other. Yeah. Absolutely. And wanting to listen, right? As, as I tell my clients, dare to care, dare to care to know what's happening for the other. And in order to do that, we need to get rid of this limiting belief of this competitive world that everything is limited and we have to fight for what we get. And once you open that up, you dare to care and to truly listen to what is it that you need, but go beyond of saying, who is it that you are, you know, and when somebody's reacting bad, I like to think, instead of what's wrong with you, saying, what happened to you? Yes, exactly. What made you be who you are? And as you said, Carl Jung has done absolutely great work. I love the work of Dr. Jung. And, and, and that's so beneficial on the negotiation table once you start studying all that. And you did, right? You recently had a degree in that field? Yes, yes. I earned a, a degree in analytical psychology. I was always fascinated by uh, the underlying aspects, the psychological aspects, for me, negotiation is so much more than just a science and application of tools, strategies, and tactics. And I never had the possibility to do that because I was, I'm educated uh, in the legal profession. I'm also educated in translation of legal documents. So I always had this very technical side to my academic background. And um, it was my dream to, to, discover more about 
the psychology, psychological factors that drive our behavior. And thanks to COVID, I know that sounds a little bit like a paradox to say thanks to the pandemic, but in my case, that was because it was possible for me to to move around less, to travel less, I could focus more on expanding my horizons in that regard. And I did manage to, to earn my degree. I, I managed to write two books in the pandemic. So something that I've never physically had time to actually sit down and do, mm -hmm. I have uh, in this very, very difficult time. Okay, well, I look very much forward to reading your books. I've already ordered them, but you know, in this part of the world, it takes a long time before you get anything, if you get it through the post. So tell me about it. You've written two books. What is the difference between the two? Who should read which one and which order? Tell me, okay. I want to know it all. Before we talk about that, you made a very, very interesting comment right before about caring, a dare to care. And I just wanted to make one comment on that is that we care and we allow ourselves out of that competitive spirit once we feel secure. So the question is, how do I as a negotiator make the other person feel cared for, comfortable, Safe. secure enough in the process? Exactly. Yeah. I think mm. that's the question we should be asking ourselves in business and in our lives and not how can I persuade this person? How can I make yeah. them convince them to my beliefs? But how do I make them feel comfortable in the process? And exactly. This... And as you said, that goes everywhere, right? It goes in leadership, in management, in parenting. How do you make the other person, how do you create this safe space where exactly. it's okay to speak up also against you, where it's yeah. okay to make mistakes and be honest about it, uh, where it's okay to have another opinion, have a dialogue, um, but I think we're shifting. I mean, I do see hope, right? Whether I see it in the parenting and people around us, the way we parent the way versus the way we were parented. Management, leadership is changing. We're definitely moving towards more human to human instead of role to role. You know, I'm the authority, I'm the head of, so you're just going to follow and listen. With listen, yeah. I mean obey. So there is hope. Do you see that too? I see that in business and I see that in uh, prominent business schools when I was attending for the first program that I attended at IMD Business School was building on talent uh, a good 10 years ago. And they were teaching us as young high potential business professionals, they were teaching us strategies of leadership, mostly. And then when I was attending the last program, high performance leadership, where I gave a session on uh, mirror negotiations, uh, I was sitting there in the other sessions and I was thinking, We've taught them all, all the tools already and we're teaching people back how to be people. Mm. So that trend, that trend is definitely not only in business, but also in, in the executive trainings. Uh, and, I, and I see a thirst for that in the mandate that I have. Even as I mentioned at the United Nations, who would have thought this role would be about building trust between stakeholders? So very, very interesting to watch the, the changes. And I think we mentioned crisis before. We mentioned that conflict very often. New solutions unfold because of conflict, because of crisis. We are in the middle of that transition now. I don't know if we can call our reality post-pandemic yet. I wouldn't be too optimistic. Mm -hmm. However, we are somewhere in the transitional phase where humankind has just 
faced and is still facing an enormous health crisis that will rearrange the way we interact with each other, the way we do business with each other. Also in this virtual space, that human element is an exquisite, it's becoming an exquisite prestigious element to be able to turn the camera on or meet, travel finally, and, and actually see each other. Something that we used to take for granted hmm. is now a cherry on the, on the cake is becoming that almost. And I think that there's some, some lesson there for, for us to, to, to think about. Yeah, definitely. It's an opportunity, just like in every crisis, it's an opportunity to reshape the way we do business, the way we act with each other. And why not add an extra touch of humanity because the crisis and us being separated with lockdowns or working, you know, watching a camera instead of a real person also impacted that. So we need to become human again and then take it further and become even more and more and more human and develop that aspect. I agree with you. So we already agree on a lot of things. And another thing that we have in common, obviously, is that we are both women in a male's world. I mean, professional negotiation world is still very much male dominant mm-hmm. at the moment. I have my ideas about why that is, but what, what, what do you think? Why do you think we are so very few women uh, to call ourselves professional negotiators and how can we get more women in, in this field? Well, I can draw from both from theory and from practice. Obviously, if I were to draw from theory, I would quote the book, the famous book by Susan Babcock, Women Don't Ask. Mm. And that's an old title. It's a classic that talks about some of the reasons why women do not advance as quickly as, as their male counterparts in business or partners in business. Another very interesting field of, it's not a, an academic study, but more a study of the business environment is Mika Brzezinski's uh, book, Knowing Your Value and Knowing How to Ask <clears throat> and Claim That Value. What I see in business, how that translates into, into why there are so few women still, is because, as you mentioned, it's pretty much still a dominant sphere. People operate based on the principle of similarity very often. So if it's male dominated, male or female negotiators will be supporting their gender. It's a simple, I would say it's a simple principle. Then a second, it becomes much more competitive for a woman, what we used to call to break that glass ceiling. So if one or two of them manage, they are very protective of their sphere that's that's a natural psychological factor as well and third of all i think that if we go back to the upbringing girls are brought up to be more modest to be more shy to be less aggressive in asserting their own will and asking for things and that translates into business practice all these factors i'm not saying i'm not simplifying it's a very we could have a very lengthy separate analysis of of the reasons why but i think that a mosaic of these three elements very simplistically again i'm underlining that that i'm just on the surface of of a broader discussion on the topic of gender and differences and so on i would say that this is where the differences uh, are and then i would say if you look at different social systems and women's career development opportunities in in relation to becoming mothers and raising families and some of the stereotypes that are still existing and the role division it's not just in the sphere of negotiation but i think it's a it's it's a much broader 
aspect than, than just that. So all these factors. So all these things obviously impact why we are only, I mean, in the professional negotiation world, we're what, like 10, 15%, that's it. So even less than board roles or, or, or even what I've seen in finance. But do you agree that it has nothing to do with skills that we as women can definitely have the same negotiation skills, the same what it takes to be a good negotiator? I think that's a question um, in the variation of that I'm very often asked, is a good negotiator born or taught? Mm. So it's the classic nature versus nurture question. I think mm -hmm. that both genders have a, a skill set, inborn skill set that allows them to excel in certain spheres and in certain less. Then there's the individual personality traits that are specific to, to, to each person. I think that we can enhance the skill set of both male and female, but the approach has to differ. So the approach to women is uh, training, female negotiation trainings should be tailored not only on the strategic and tactical, but also enhancing the self-empowerment aspect more in the sense you can do it mm. and without raising the attention to gender. Research yeah. says that female students score lower in math tests if gender is highlighted. So for example, if they have to cross that uh, box male or female, that makes them self-aware of the existence of stereotypes that as a woman, not necessarily are you going to excel in mathematics. So raising their awareness to the weakness will impede their performance in the actual exercise, the test or the negotiation process. And that's, I would say that is gender universal. I don't mm. think that as male or female negotiators focus on weaknesses, we should focus on what we like doing and where our strengths lie. So yeah. I think that there are impediments to both genders and there are advantages to, to both genders as well. It's just a matter of uh, the right approach, I would say, to enhance that skill set. Can you give a few tips to women specifically? I mean, obviously I'm going to, I'm going to use the fact that you're a woman because I don't have that many female guests on the show. Can you give us a few tips based on your experience? What kind of tips can you give a woman to feel more confident to go and have those negotiations, to go and ask for her salary increase, to go and maybe join us and become a professional negotiator? This is yet another broad, very broad question. And this might be a good moment to do a little bit of, of talking about the book. Mm -hmm. So this is a very personal book. So the last time that we were talking negotiate your way to success, personal guidelines to boost your career. Uh, when we were talking, I mentioned that this is actually, I wrote it as the second book to negotiation booster, which is quite, I would say, step-by-step -step guide to high impact negotiations. And then I thought, why not talk about something more personal? Mm -hmm. Guidelines based on anecdotes, my own anecdotes, I call it my personal philosophy of uh, empowerment or my personal success story. Uh, I'm sharing my mistakes that I've made in business and I'm sharing the challenges, obviously from a female feminine perspective that I've made in business. And I'm providing guidelines and key takeaways for both male and female negotiators to show them that 
obviously not like our parents say, learn on my mistakes, that's impossible, but to show that certain paths, first of all, are universal and the mistakes that are approached the right way can in fact be your biggest blessing. So I would say, I would highly recommend this, not because I wrote it, but because it's very, it's very real. It's very authentic. It's mm. very masking of some of the, I wrote it with in mind and very mindful of all the questions that I'm being asked time and time again by female negotiators, by male as well. How can we navigate around our weaknesses? Hmm, I like that. How can we navigate around our weaknesses? First of all, is awareness, of course, to become aware of those weaknesses. So there you have it, people. Negotiate your way to success is the next book to read. Now, I'm still going to ask you again, can you still give a tip for those who can't have it yet, etc.? How can we become better negotiators? And let's make it global, not only women, but women, men as well. One strong tip. Uh, I can bet on it that every single listener here has had their moment of glory. It doesn't matter in which sphere, business, personal, sports, whatever is important to you. The day you landed your dream job, the day you asked someone to marry you and she said yes, or he said yes. And mm -hmm. that was your moment of extreme happiness. The day you had your first baby, doesn't matter. We all have our moments of glory. What I do is I recall my strongest moment that moment that gave you the enormous boost of confidence. And I force myself to remember how powerful, how happy, how alive, how enlightened I felt in that moment. And then I say to myself, if I could feel that once, I can transplant that energy and that feeling into this challenging situation that I'm facing, that I can move mm -hmm. I've moved them once, then who says I can't move them twice or 10 times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that example. And that's actually something that I'm doing as well. And you can even anchor that into your system, right? And I always think about a moment when I had, this is a very personal, but I'll share it quickly with the audience. When I had my first child, it was a catastrophic uh, delivery and I almost lost him. He had to go in coma, etc. And and it, it all started well, but it started becoming very difficult when they put the epidural and then everything changed. So with my second child, I said, no more epidural. I'm going to do this myself and everybody out of the delivery room. I'm going to do this alone. Well, my husband can stay, but that's it. And everybody said, Luz, you're crazy. I mean, you're tiny. How are you going to do that? Let the doctors help. I was like, no, thousands of women are having babies every single day. They can do it. I can do it without any medicine. So I prepared physically, mentally, emotionally. And I said, I'm going to do this. And of course, I was afraid of, oh, my God, am I going to survive? It hurts a lot. <laughs> and then there we were in the hospital. I said, everybody out. I was still a bit angry about the way the first one went. So long story short, Elise was born without epidural, without any pain killing. We did it. And afterwards, I felt so proud. I felt so good. The same day I was, you know, walking around the hospital, taking my shower alone. Everything was fine. My daughter was fine. And I was like, if you put your mind to something, you can do it. And of course, it needs preparation and, and, and feeling confident in yourself and your body or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And therefore, now, years later, every time I have to face something difficult, 
be it physical, emotional, stress, whatever. I'm like, ah, oh, I delivered a baby without painkillers. I can do this. <laughs> I mean, what can be more painful than that? So I don't yeah. think anything can compare. And that is a true act. I think that that's the biggest act of bravery and also biggest gift that you're giving to someone. And this brings me to a very interesting point. Going back to the discussion, uh, since it's a free flow of thoughts, so I'll be going back and forth. Going back to the discussion for tips for females, I noticed that if we represent or we do something for someone else, our children, our parents, our partners, our friends, we are much more convincing as negotiators. And we're much more effective if we place ourselves in that protector role or representative role. And that's another trick that I use. I found that if I wanna negotiate something, let's say I want to buy myself a car, I will not be as effective as if I say, I'm buying a car for my mother, let's say, or mm -hmm. I'm negotiating, it's for her. It's something that I can do for someone else. I'm much better and I'm much more fierce, I would say, even fighting, not for me, but for uh, someone that I care about more. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And it's true. I mean, you, when you were explaining that, I had this mama beer image that came up, like, you know, I would fight to death for my kids. So bring Definitely. it on. <laughs> Definitely. That's the spirit, you know, that's where you need to draw those energy. Energy doesn't come from uh, the outside. You have to have it in you. You have to, no one can hurt you and no one can affect you without your permission to do so. So yeah. the same goes for energy and people can get addicted to either positive or negative thinking. We see a lot of people that are addicted to finding problems, mm, but yeah. if you've managed to program yourself in that kind of negative mindset with a lot of work, I'm not saying it's something easy because I, I dare not say that after my studies in psychology and psychoanalysis, I dare not say it's an easy process, but it's, it's possible to also create the habit of positive thinking and the habit of successful thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm teaching this to my kids. I mean, they're only 10 and seven, but this mm -hmm. is so important. How do we program ourselves and not become a fruit of everything we've been taught around us yeah now since we're sharing personal stuff you know this podcast life negotiations I called it this way because I'm passionate about how negotiation skills can help people in their day-to-day -day, not only on the negotiation table so when somebody is going through a challenge a hardship something you know life hits you as it does to all of us could you please share a personal story where you had to face hardship and how, if negotiation skills helped you overcome them? Uh, so definitely the first, and this is actually what the book, uh, Negotiator Way to Success, this is actually the story that the book starts with. And this is the story that very much still vividly lives in me. It's about right after when I defended my PhD, I was very young. I was one of the youngest doctors in, in law at the university. And I took on a job at a law firm which I absolutely dreaded. I dreaded the environment. I dreaded the management, very unethical ways of leadership, which were not aligned with my, I have a very strong moral code. And this was an environment which every cell of my body rejected. Hmm. And th the decision to quit 
was slowly but surely growing within me. And I remember going out for lunch one day and standing outside, it was like a classic movie, American movie scene, rain pouring down. I was standing in my power suit, high heels outside the law firm and forcing myself to go back in after lunch and I couldn't. And I thought, I'm gonna go up there and quit as, as I'm standing here. And I did just that. The execution of the decision was completely spontaneous. The decision itself, as I said, was born a long time before that. The biggest mistake that I made was that I had absolutely no backup plan. And it so happened that this was the year 2008, the biggest crisis year that Up I- Upfront crisis. Exactly, to, to quit my job and be out there like a sitting duck. And this is exactly as I found myself going through week-long and month-long interview processes for a job. With every rejection, every time I went, I heard very young, overqualified, high expectations, and lacking experience. All true. But I didn't want to settle. However, the problem was that with every rejection, my bargaining power was lower. If I were to draw it from the moment when I quit, it would be a very steep, steep decline and drop in my bargaining power. What I had going on for me was that I was always working. At a university, I was working over the summer. I was working. My parents had a strong belief that I have to earn everything and learn from the youngest age. So my advantage was that I already had some business experience in France. And I called the company and I said, I need a job. You liked my performance. Do you have something? They said, sorry, we don't have anything in Strasbourg where you worked with us. We have something in Paris. And Paris was my way out. But at that time, I was, in my opinion, rock bottom. Mm. Professionally, it's also, it also so happens that personally as well, my life back then, on every single sphere, it was a disaster. I left everything behind. I remember when I was moving to Paris, I had a car with everything that I owned was in that car. And I thought I'm on the bottom. Looking back, this is when my life in many ways had only just started. And Paris is for me that it's my safe word. It's, it was very difficult at the beginning. But for me, I always think if you manage that, the humiliation of rejection, feeling like life is over at a very, very young age, having absolutely no perspectives, if I could survive that, leaving my family behind, leaving everything I know, a very safe environment in some ways, that I could, I could have easily stayed in my family home I, with the security of the connections and network of my parents, but mm -hmm. I want more for myself. And that more comes at a price. Wow, so, thank you for sharing that story. Leaving a family home, leaving all the safety and security that you have um, at the same time, being at the point where you don't have much anyway, the mm -hmm. risk is I'm going to risk it all then. It's all or nothing. Let's fly to Dubai or drive to, um, sorry, Paris. And that's another point you have in common, right? I lived in Paris yeah. for 14 years. Yeah, definitely have some great memories in that city, the city of light. Kasia, thank you so much. I could talk to you for hours and hours, but I, I, uh, I know we both have to jump on the next meeting quite soon. So you're 
doing all these wonderful things for people, right? You are a professor, you are a teacher, you are a trainer, you are an advisor. People uh, having difficulties with negotiations can reach out to you. Where can they find you? The best way would probably be LinkedIn or visiting my website, negotiationbooster.com, taking a look at what possibilities there are for assistance, either for a classic training or something that is becoming much more in demand now, which is preparation session, individual, tailored. And that uh, I realize that a lot of professionals are busy or they have their own idea of what they need as a personalized preparation for their top negotiations. That's another possibility to have a very personal approach to the negotiation and boost the energy towards the negotiation process. I always say that contrary to what theorists say, that negotiation starts with preparation, it starts with self-management and empowerment. I've already mentioned that in relation to female negotiators, but I find it's quite universal. Self-management, management of your emotions, of the ego factor, of what is causing, now I understand also the underlying psychological factors, that sometimes it's a matter of a little bit like negotiation psychoanalysis finding what are what is the unconscious element that is blocking your energy and your bargaining power to its full potential in your difficult negotiations i can so, help so we could say before you start negotiating with others let's start negotiating with ourselves yeah definitely yeah i love that okay so i think we're aligned on so many things kasha i love talking to you as i said i could talk to you for hours and i hope we'll organize the next call soon again Thank you so much for sharing all this with me and the listeners. I will put the links towards your LinkedIn and your website somewhere around this video or the podcast, wherever people are listening to us right now so they can find you. Again, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you and thank you for everything you're doing for the negotiation world. And together, I hope we can motivate, inspire and, and train people in becoming better negotiators and create a better world where we're all more human. Thank you so much, Luz, for also inviting me. Thank you for your initiative. Thank you for your beautiful energy and sharing your very personal stories. I greatly admire you as a professional and as a very feminine, uh, very strong and feminine, like I wrote to you in one of our email exchanges, that vulnerable strength that you have, I think is very empowering and is helping a lot of professionals out there. So many thanks for your initiative. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us. If you have any questions, I will show you where to find Kasha. If you have any questions specifically for anything we discussed today, feel free to reach out to her. Feel free to reach out to me. We're always happy to listen and to help. Thank you very much and see you on the next episode of Life Negotiations. Mm -hmm.